This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Sam Oosterhoff, who was on this show, uh, the young MPP from uh, Niagara West Glanbrook. Uh, Glanbrook. Uh, upon swearing in, he was subjected to a flurry of questions from reporters. Uh, this comes after he missed a vote on, a vote on Bill 28. Uh, that's the All Families Are Equal Act. When asked if he was a homophobe, he said he wasn't, but he didn't clarify whether he thought homosexuality was a sin. Do we care? Do we really care? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, his party leader has spoken on what the party platform is. What do we care what he thinks? Really? Do we? I don't know. Uh, or, or again, is this just smoke and mirrors from the liberals trying to get you uh, to stare at anything other than your electricity bill? Uh, joining us now is Alyssa Freeman, Principal Alyssa PR, Communications uh, Columnist, HuffingtonPostCanada.com, PR Daily, is with us now. Alyssa, how are you today? I'm speaking to you from New York City. You, Liz, tracked me down in a cab, Scott. Wow, that's amazing. So what's going on there? What are you doing down there? Can you tell us? Or is it highly personal? A person- little bit of business, a little bit of leisure, you know, trying to make it half and half, make you, the most of it while we're here. Are you shopping? You're shopping, aren't you? See, you just couldn't get enough of Black Friday. You had to go down to the Big Apple, didn't you? I knew it. Yeah, exactly. I knew it. It pays 30% more. Why wouldn't I want to do that, Scott? <laughs> exactly. There you go. All right, lots of chatter in regard to... Uh, Sam Oosteroff, the MPP from uh, Niagara West Glanbrook. Uh, Glanbrook. I always say Glanbrook. Uh, Glanbrook. And uh, lots of chatter simply because he missed this vote on the All Families Are Equal Act. Uh, apparently the reason that he wasn't sworn in earlier, uh, the large contingent coming in, it's big day, the youngest uh, MPP, all that sort of thing. Uh, does any of that fly, or did uh, Patrick Brown purposely keep him uh, out of the vote, or did he just not want to attend the vote? Well, uh, you raised a number of good points, actually, Scott, all throughout the lead-up to this. So, number one, yes, he purposely delayed, in my opinion. He purposely delayed not having to be at the vote. From what I've read about this fellow, you know, he was homeschooled. He's from a very, very religious family. And his Facebook posts essentially uh, talk all about, there is one specific Facebook post that um, sort of paints him as being homophobic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, first day on the job, does Oosterhoff really want to have to vote for this legislation? And the answer obviously was no. So whenever you give, from a PR perspective, from optics, sheer optics, when you give a lame excuse, well, we want everybody in town, and my sister-in-law was having a baby, and so I couldn't attend because of that. You know, once you start giving lame excuses, you know, akin to the dog ate my homework, people start to see through that. So you kind of bring it on yourself. So how should he have best handled this? Well, he should have had a better excuse, number one, if you're even going to have an excuse. And if you're going to take a stand and start throwing smoke and mirrors at things, then, you know, better take a stand now whenever, at, the, at the outset where people know where you are coming from rather than try and, you know, throw a smoke screen over it only to have this. This issue is not going away. Mm-hmm. And he's eventually going to have to backtrack on what he said and get rid of all this jargon that we have to treat everybody with the same sort of dignity, when really, if he has a specific opinion on this particular bill, it's eventually going to come out. So, you know, for the Liberals, you know, we talked last week on, you know, what would it take for people to vote Liberal again, um, yeah, because of the whole high You mean, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, this, this could do it. 
this could do it by painting, you know, people like using uh, Oosterhof as a uh, as a lightning rod and painting him like the alt-right that we see south of the border. Yeah, but like this is one candidate and the party leader has already spoke out what he, you know, has already spoke out against this. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that not all people who, who sit there, uh, you know, in the confines of a party necessarily agree with everything that, that is going on. I mean, I, I guess votes and things like that, you, you have to, obviously. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, since his party has stated what their standard stand is, does it really matter? Yeah, it does matter because the Liberals are watching and they're l- looking for any crack of daylight where they can open up the window and shine a spotlight on something that will that may sway the way Ontarians think in the leading up to the next election. And I understand that that's 18 months away, but you have to start to plan the seeds of doubt now, if there are any. And yeah, Patrick Brown has come out and said, yes, this is what my party does stand for. But because Oosterhof hasn't um, really made, he's been you know dodging some of the reporters' questions, specifically about this, this Facebook post, specifically about, you know, where he stands on some of these issues. Because he's been dodging some of these questions and not really definitively answering them, people are going to jump all over that. So we may say, oh, you know what, who cares? You know what, we just got off an election where the alt-right had their day in the sun. And now you also have someone like Kelly Leach, which is spouting some of the same rhetoric. So this is a build upon a build upon a build. Um, you know what? I don't know if I see it that way, Alyssa, simply because, you know, I mean, it looks like they're pulling out a thread that really doesn't go anywhere in the sense that that's not how the party stands. So, again, so what if Sam, who was, you know, I mean, let's not pile on the guy because he was homeschooled and he's religious. But, you know, I certainly see I certainly see the caution there. I, I certainly understand that. But at the end of the day, if one kid in the party feels this way, like, what difference does it make? Especially when the leaders already said, you know, this is this is not where we're standing. So I know, I know, you know what, Scott? First of all, you and I rarely disagree, so I'm kind of enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> and you're even in another country. So, uh, so what? Like, so, explain this to me. I mean, again, it's one guy in one riding. He, you know, he he is what he is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that reflects the party. So, who cares? Like, I mean, I'm sure if you were to ask somebody in Kathleen's Wins party if she agrees with the Green Energy Act, I mean, they might have different words too. Does that mean that? You know, it's an issue within the, like, I, I don't see it being an issue. I really don't. You know what? I think that anything can, can be an issue if you throw enough gasoline in it. And I think that, I know you're saying, well, you know, this is just one guy. Why are we pulling the thread over this one issue? The party says they don't agree with it. But you know what? We've just come off an election where this was a, in the U.S., where this was a very, very, you know, big narrative. And that hasn't gone away yet. And the people who are wanting to fan the flames of this narrative, from a professional perspective, are actually doing, actually, Scott, I think they're, they're doing a great job at that. Not that I think that's a great thing, but they are doing a good job on that. When I see in my Facebook feed, and I hate to tell you that Facebook is now the purveyor of what's news these days, you know, when I see in my Facebook feed and I see, you know, on the you know, the homepage of the Toronto Star, and they are jumping all over this guy uh, with respect to that issue... You know, this is starting to go somewhere. So while we may think, you know what, leave him alone, he's just, you know, he's just been elected, he's only 19 years old, there's a number of people, if you start reading the comments, there's a number of people who don't want to give him a pass for any of that. 
I don't know. I, I think I, I think the conservatives risk a uh, a lot of damage if they try to paint conservatism as an alt right movement. I mean, I think that's a, that's an incredibly slippery slope, and I think people are going to see through that. People are going to realize that this is you know you're pointing to a guy who is a 19 year old uh, religious homeschool homeschool kid. No, but yeah, but no, but that's not the point. You, you know, you're giving this kid like all the powers if he's leader of the party when the part when the party leader has come right out and said sam is sam's point of view is not what the party represents so again how can you how can you how can you keep fanning the flames of sam hoping that the rest of the party eventually just agrees with sam and then adopts his policy i think people are going to see through that crap i don't know scotty i think he's is talking out of both sides of his mouth and it's you know trial by fire you know, again, you know, I, you know, I have no doubt that Sam's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's in a very, very uh, tough predicament right now. But I don't think that's going to change people's opinion of Patrick Brown. I mean, Patrick Brown, I mean, what does he have to do with who the people of uh, Niagara West Glamour? Can I tell you something, Scott? I don't even think Patrick, people have an opinion about Patrick Brown. I think that the conservatives have to do a much better job of, you know, promoting their party and the narrative in a way that they want to be seen. Maybe this will be maybe this will be maybe this will be the catalyst to do that because clearly Sam's getting more attention than Patrick is. is Yeah, yeah, yeah. The narrative is definitely taking them over. Like that is for sure. So what the conservatives need to do is to make a right turn and pivot from this narrative and get people to understand who they are, that they should not be aligned or even thought of as alt-right, and this is the platform that they're running on. And you know, in addition. Two, slamming the liberals for, you know, various fiascos, most importantly, the hydro one. So mm-hmm. really, you know, they've got to get their spin masters in the room and say, OK, we need to veer off this. We need to either let this burn out. And if it doesn't burn out, we need to jump all over this. And we really have to put this start putting the pedal to the metal so people understand who we are. 18 months. 18 months is going to go by in a flash. And now is the time to start getting your rhetoric and narrative out. So this isn't necessarily about Sam Oosteroff and his uh, feelings. It's more about what uh, Patrick Brown has to do to market himself above Sam and his thoughts. 100%. You know what? You know, who's going to drive? Who's the driver of the bus here, right? So if you're going to drive the bus and if you're going to have Ontarians understand who you are, you need to start doing that as being reactive. So let me see if I got this straight. Yeah. So what you're saying is if the conservatives don't do a better picture, do a better job of painting a, a rosy picture of Patrick Brown and how he's he is what he is and whatever his party stands for, if they don't do a better job of that, uh, your uh, what could happen is the liberals could paint Sam Oosteroff as the poster boy for the conservative party as opposed to Patrick Brown. I couldn't have said it better myself, Scott. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, see, I was hoping this would end up in a fight, not a love-in. Yeah, but, you know, it always ends up in a bit of a love-in. We had a little bit of a spat going on in there about five minutes ago. But, uh, you know what, this is, this is all about who's going to be smarter with your narrative and who's going to jump on it right now. So today, the liberals are smarter because whoever's feeding all this stuff to the... Um, you know, to the press, and believe me, people are doing that. You know, everybody knows the newsroom. So, you know, say the conservatives are behind the eight on this. So they've got a hope that news cycle burns out. You and I both know that news cycles don't last for more than 24 hours. 
So, you know, let this burn out, but you better have fun and be ready to go. So, in other words, don't let Sam shape the, the narrative. Uh, instead, do a better job of promoting Patrick Brown. Correct. All right, there and, you have it. Yep. So there you, go. there you have it, folks. <laughs> All right. So interesting article by Joe Warmington. We're about to have him on in a minute uh, in the Toronto Sun today. You probably haven't seen it simply because you're, in, uh, you're, no, you're down, down there. Uh, but basically, he uh, has an article, uh, a column written about Kevin O'Leary saying that uh, Kevin O'Leary's lining people up. Uh, and he's ready to make a run at it. He was, uh, I guess, said last week that since the Trump win, he thinks there's a better chance now than there was uh, prior to that. Everyone thinking that Trudeau was just going to necessarily get a second term. Uh, Do you think Kevin O'Leary can beat Justin Trudeau in a second term? Oh, my gosh. You know what? Anything is possible. After Brexit, I think everybody sort of looked at one another and went, well, anything is possible. And that's when people started saying, oh, you're going to get in. And guess what? That's what happens when you talk too much. You just blow up. You overload, <laughs> you overload the line. Uh, clearly, uh, the signals aren't very well in, in the Macy's down in New York City. She probably tried to go from one floor to another and lost us in the transition. Uh, anyway, we thank uh, Alyssa Freeman for joining us, Principal Alyssa PR, uh, down in New York. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Asking you, could Kevin O'Leary beat Justin Trudeau in the next election? Uh, Patrick has an interesting uh, post on Facebook. He said, I don't think he could win. I saw a comment in a different group where someone said even that even Fidel Castro was a better human being than Stephen Harper. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if Stephen Harper killed anybody. Uh, and it had to be and it had a ton of likes. The next leader of the conservative needs to be a shiny, happy person with no religious agenda or the Canadian uh, sheeple will never get on board. We can't have uh, bombastic negative people as leaders because too many people get their feelings hurt. I think that's why Trudeau won. People think he's nice and that Harper was not nice. For a larger percentage of the population, I think it's that simple. I would agree. I (laughs) I would agree with what Patrick says 100%. However, getting back to the issue of uh, Sam Oosterhof and, uh, you know, what he's dealing with now in regard to uh, the press jumping on him because of his religious beliefs and that he uh, seems to think different than the party does. I don't know. I think I think if you try to paint uh, one MPP from uh, Niagara West Glanbrook as the leader of the party, I think people are going to see through that. I think people are going to see the fact that through the fact that that Sam is is just an MPP. He's not the leader of the party and that the party has moved on from his thoughts His the party has moved on beyond that. So uh, I think labeling him anymore as this and trying to pull this thread and make this a bigger issue than your electricity bill. 
I think is a pretty slip, uh, slippery slope. Uh, Rick writes, can we give Sam a chance and quit, sl- quit slamming him for his belief? We are all entitled to a personal convictions. What's wrong with the opposition and second thought to everything this liberal government proposes anyway? There will always be more than one perspective on every issue. Let's embrace or respect all views, says Rick. Feel free to offer your opinion, but, you know, uh, uh, Alyssa Freeman brought up a very valid point. How do you how do you stop any new conservative movement from being labeled as extreme or alt-right? And that's exactly what the liberals are trying to do. They're trying to grab Sam and make Sam a bigger story than what Patrick Brown is. And and Alyssa brought up a very valid point in the in in the court of public opinion. Sam is getting more publicity than Patrick Brown is. So what Patrick Brown and the conservatives need to do is start telling everybody who the hell Patrick Brown is and, uh, you know, and start branding him and his thoughts, because right now Sam is getting all of the attention. And, you know, there's the there's the liberal string pulling away, pulling away, trying to make it sound as if one person's opinion uh, within the party represents the entire party and that that's how they will vote. And I'm not sure Ontarians are stupid enough to buy into that. Because when Patrick Brown said himself where he stands on all of these issues, isn't that what we should be paying attention to? I don't know. All right, let's bring in Joe Warmington, columnist for your Toronto Sun. Of course, penned a column today. It is in the paper and uh, on Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary closer to taking on Trudeau. Could this be true? And what has changed? Because I remember at one point people thought, well, you know, this guy's going to get two terms the way he uh, came in. And, you know, we weren't getting an awful lot of people of really high profile uh, stepping up to the plate to challenge him because nobody really wanted to take the loss. However, since Trump was elected, some people think that's all changed. To talk more on all of this, Joe Warmington is with us, columnist with your Toronto Sun. He's with us now. Hi, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? Very good. Interesting column you got today. Uh, Tell us about your conversation with Kevin O'Leary. Well, every time you talk to him, it's it's fun because... You know, he's such an entertainer and he's a character. And so, you know, I think a lot of us have been leaning on him a little bit, saying, when are you going to do this and stop talking about it? Because we don't like to be, we don't mind being used, but there's only so far you can go with it. And uh, you can see that he's admitted that he's putting together a team. So, you know, you know he's going to run if he thinks he can win it. Why do you... It's a matter of, you know, come February. He wants to wait and see how many people are actually, you know... There's 15 people or so that are running for that job, so he needs to get that down to four or five, and then and then go for it. He wants the the herd culled a little bit before this happens. Well, he'd be crazy to step in there and be one of 15. Yeah, he's the only one that anybody knows across the country. He has a brand. I'm not sure if he's a full conservative, but he's certainly a fiscal conservative. Um, there were there was lots of chatter when this race started on the conservative side that. Um, you know, none, none of the big, none of the heavyweights were going to bother getting into the ring. Lots thought that Trudeau mania would just continue through a second term. What's changed? Why is this different now? Well, it hasn't fully changed because, you know, politics is, you know, is month to month. So the things that have gone badly for Trudeau this week, you know, Castro, one of them, and obviously the Trump election, these things in two years or whenever the election is, I guess, you know, even more than that. It's like three years, isn't it? They've mm-hmm. only had office for a year. So, you know, I wouldn't count him out yet. But it, it, he looks invincible. He's going to have to grow up a, a little bit and realize that 
not everybody's, you know, walking around as some sort of politically correct feminist, you know, and that's kind of what he's trying to push. And and not everybody's racist just because they say they're racist, things like that. So I think that O'Leary could kind of come in and grab some of this. But I think more importantly, and I believe this because uh, I've talked to Kevin a lot about it. He really doesn't like the economic plan. He doesn't like the deficits, the debt. He doesn't like the same sort of uh, sentiment that Trump seized on. And he thinks he can fix that. He thinks that's the number one issue. And he wants to do it. He's got lots of money. That's the problem. You know, these guys have three or four or five hundred million bucks. They fly around. They do what they want. But, you know, they want to give something back or maybe it's a bit of a power play or all of the above. But, you know, that's what where he's at. I think he really thinks he can make a difference. Uh, lots of people, and I've just got this on a Facebook post right now, talking about this is- issue. One person writes, people think he's nice, meaning Trudeau, and think Harper was not nice. For a large percentage of the population, I think it's that simple. Is Kevin O'Leary warm and fuzzy enough? Is this what conservatives need, a warm and fuzzy as opposed to someone who comes across as mean-spirited, older, out of touch, and, and, and too right, you know, catering too much to the religious right? Well, it's an excellent question, and that's why you have these ballots, you know, to see what what people want. And he's a showbiz guy, just like Trump was. I was always surprised in the U.S. election, which, by the way, you know, as you know, I was on your show. I called Trump to win it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that with O'Leary. It's too early, and I sort of covered it in the first part of the segment here. But I think Kevin's a showman, and he's on you know, American television, Canadian television, on a entertainment show. That character is part of him, but there's a lot more to Kevin. Look, he does a lot of charity. He's a really good guy. Uh, I don't know him that well, but, you know, what I do know, he's likable. But, I, you know, Trump's the same way. I mean, I don't know him that well, but what I do know, and same with Hillary, they're good people. You know, they get sort of pigeonholed by the media. I saw that you were mentioning about Patrick Brown and Sam today. Mm-hmm. today, And... Um, you saw the way the media was pinning his ears back. Now, the, the 19-year-old kid, he's not even sworn in yet, and they are swarming him. So <clears throat> they're set, trying to set this sort of tone for him when it may or may not be you know, the accurate picture. It happens to all of us in public life. Just look at Twitter and you see things about yourself or myself that you, know, you don't really see yourself that way. But they're trying to make it that you're that way. So that's what, what um, O'Leary will have to watch for. Does this de- does this also depend in the next, well, you know, obviously he's going to have to announce by February, right? And Trump's in in January. Uh, does, it de- does it depend on Trump's success, how successful O'Leary would be? You know, that's an excellent point, too. Um, I don't know. I think it, it certainly plays into it. And it doesn't always help Kevin O'Leary either, because then you've got two reality TV show type guys, and that's the way your enemies will position it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and Trudeau can, can get better. He can grow up. I mean, he has to. The writing's on the wall. He may not have anyone around him that understands that, but the honeymoon is over. And not everybody will, you know, I certainly won't hold it against him. I still like the kid. You know, I consider him a kid. Hmm. Um, but I don't like some of the sort of frivolous approaches to things that he does. He just blows it off and says, these are the things I'm interested in. And you guys are a bunch of old racists. And, and homophobic and all that. And so he'll have to stop that because you represent everybody. Trump uh, had to fight through that. But he's Trump's howling at the moon and you know now he's in charge of of you know fixing that. 
and he's trying to do that. And it'll either work or it won't work, but he's certainly motivated. And I think that Trudeau's got to get more results. Uh, you saw that yesterday with signing those those two, a bit of a compromise, the two pipeline deals. Yeah. And then the third one, no, but at least it's, you know, something. So you're starting to see some things. So, you know, that's why they have these campaigns. It's a long time off. But I, I'm excited. I think it'd be great, Scotty, that to have Kevin O'Leary in there. Or, you know, if somebody can beat him out in the PC party, they'll have to be really, really uh, special. And that would be, you know, make it not so boring here. The comparisons of O'Leary to Trump, disadvantage, advantage? Well, it's both, of course. I mean, the, the fact that you know Kevin O'Leary is because of what you said. That he's known as this cantankerous, tell it as it is, antagonist character. The same as Trump, you're fired, you know, and mm-hmm. Mr. Wonderful and all that. But it does hurt you the other way uh, because, you know, you get a caricature of yourself, and nobody is that. Nobody is that, including Mr. Trump. You know, Trump is a good man, too. I mean, he does a lot of things for a lot of people, same as what... People try to say Hillary is all these different things, and yet that's not really true either. That's a narrative that they're trying to paint. So these are the challenges Kevin O'Leary has. I like him, though, to be right there. I think he could win that because I don't see anybody. I think there's some good people in the mix there with the PCs, or the sorry, the, the federal conservatives. But, you know... You need a gimmick today, Scott. You know that. Yeah. You've got to do the media. you got to, you know, do social media, all that, and it helps when you're a household name. Is the conservative movement being confused or labeled alt-right incorrectly? Uh, Absolutely. We're seeing, Absolutely. This with, we're seeing this with Oosteroff, and I'm sure you'll see the compar- comparisons if, if Trump or if O'Leary jumps into this race, uh, the comparisons to Trump as well. Um, it seems that, you know, uh, they're trying to put everybody under the same umbrella. How does, the, well, conser- yeah, how does yeah. the conservative movement avoid being dragged into the alt-right? Well, what they do is, you know, <clears throat> I mean, it's a good question because of the narrative that's being drawn for them. But the, the, the Sam, the, I don't know him. Uh, at all. I've never met him. But from what I understand, he's a Christian kid, homeschooled Christian kid. Yep. So he's not all right. He's Christian, Christian values. And he was elected on that. Everyone knows who he is and what he stands for. This Bill 28, I've written about it a lot, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I see Patrick Brown as the only leader in the House yesterday. You know, you don't see Kathleen Wynne there. You don't see Andrea Horwath there. You see Patrick Brown, the conservative leader, putting through a piece of legislation that takes out the word mother and father out of the the law. It's nothing to do with respecting the rights of someone that's transgender or someone that has kids that have, you know, alternative uh, kind of family structures, things like that. Those things sh- should be accommodated and, and, you know, maybe even then some. But to actually take mother and father out, and that's the kind of thing where you get called homophobic, I know... If I write a column like that, I'll get all kinds of people call me homophobic, and I'll get a lot of other people saying, thank God somebody said it. Mm. And so there's no no uh, necessarily anything wrong with sticking to your convictions. It doesn't make you racist or homophobic because you believe in, in a man and a woman being married. But you also understand that sometimes it's two women that are married or, or two men, and you tolerate it. I think that you know uh, tolerance uh, and acceptance and, you know, outright homophobia are all different things. And so that's what I think they have to paint. Um, you asked the question about how do you avoid that. You've got to explain that somehow hmm. 
to the public. And I think the public understands that, but the media doesn't like you to have that nuance. When do you think O'Leary will finally step up and announce uh, either way? I think you'll see him do it in January. The key for Kevin O'Leary, and I told him this yesterday, is, is signing memberships. He has to go out and sign memberships up to get his core base. And that's what he will, you know, should do. I don't know if he will do, but up until January or so, and if he signs up, you know, whatever amount of members, that's what Patrick Brown allegedly did. I say allegedly because I hear different stories on that. Some of those memberships were unfunded and later paid for and things like that. I know that that does happen with political parties, but, you know, you have to have real members, and I don't think it costs very much to join up, but you've got to get them. It's it's a weird system. I mean, the American system, as we saw, you know, for a year, Hillary on the Democratic side and Mr. Trump on the Republican side running around doing these primaries is onerous and odious and all of the above that that was. Uh, it seems to be a better system than the, just running around, signing up a bunch of members, get them to vote free at a convention, and then you're the leader. Uh, getting back to O'Leary, uh, we certainly know where he stands on, on business issues. He's made that quite clear, uh, and, and certainly anybody who, who has read anything about him. What about social issues? When does he come out and start talking about that sort of stuff? And as you said, you weren't even sure he was conservative or not. Uh, is this the center candidate that the conservatives are looking for? I think he is, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I can't get him to... I tried to pin him down on to comment on... Trudeau and Castro, and my position on that was that you know Trudeau's are friends with Castro, so he should have put out a family statement and a statement from the prime minister's office. He could have done both, and that would have solved the problem. But we can't run away from the fact that Justin Trudeau and his mother and his father were close with the Castros. Mm -hmm. But you know it doesn't represent the values of, of of every Canadian. So. You know, he didn't want to get into things like that, and he seems to be, you know, like I'm not big on this thing that Kelly Leach is doing, where she's trying to say, well, we're going to give you a test, and we're going to test your your values. It's very insulting. I mean, people from around the world that come to Canada um, don't deserve to be treated like that. We have laws. I mean, we have laws if somebody, you know, you and I have both covered a lot of things like that, like the Sophia case, and there's been cases around the GTA. Or yeah, there's there's, law, there's laws in place that cover all that. Yeah, you don't need to be so, you know, so smug about, well, you know, over here we don't uh, kill our kids or we don't stone gays and things like that. I don't understand that thinking. And he's, you know, I, so I like Kevin O'Leary's approach better on that than Kelly Leach's. I like Kelly Leach as a person, don't get me wrong, but and I think she's made the most noise and is a good candidate. But I don't like that stuff. So I think most Canadians feel the same way I do, which is, don't ram it down our throat, uh, you know, and say that you're just because you say something a little off or whatever, you know, you retweet something you shouldn't have retweeted accidentally or what have you. Now you're called every name in the book. I mean, that's going too far, but, you know, I think most people know what the line is. And, you know, you don't have to run around being so-called super progressive to still be a good Canadian. And I think O'Leary kind of will fit into that middle ground where I think most Canadians are. How do you think, that's a very valid point, how do you think that uh, he will handle the Kelly Leeches of the world? Again, it's the same sort of predicament that, that Patrick Brown's dealing with now with Sam Oosteroff. How does Kevin O'Leary handle that portion of the party that, that are a bit extreme? 
Well, you get the leadership. Like, Patrick Brown is the leader. And so it's a good good comparison. And how do you handle it? In the case of Patrick Brown, he's trying to build a new party. I mean, I, I think he's just way, way too liberal. He thinks that, you know, he's going to get elected because he's sort of a liberal, liberal light kind of thing. And it may work. I mean, you might, might do it because there's such a fatigue and just upness of Kathleen Wynne. But if they turn around and and drop her, and they're capable of doing that and putting in a new leader. I don't rule that out, man. I mean, I think that's why she admitted the mistake. She's going to take the fall for this, and then they're going to put someone else in place before the next election. I'm convinced well, of that. Well, she doesn't get it up. They, they've, given her, they've given her a few months or maybe a year to do it. And, uh, you know, she gets it back up to 27 or 30 percent, then she'll get to take them into the election. But if not, you know, you might, might turf her, and who knows? I mean, it might be Charles Sousa. It might be somebody new, like a, a federal MP that got stiffed out of the cabinet with Trudeau. Um, or it could be somebody like a Deb Matthews, an old party insider, her sort of lieutenant, uh, could take everybody like, you know, a lot of people like Deb Matthews as a person. So, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, count everything, you know, I wouldn't count your, what do they say, count your chickens before or they hatch, yeah. Do you think that uh, do you think that O'Leary suffers from the backlash that Trump is now suffering from? Do you think that you know I, this would be a very very hard race to call between Trudeau and O'Leary because it could go? No, I don't think so because I, I know what you're saying, but try, O'Leary is nothing like Trump. Yeah, but no, again, the opposition will try to paint him that way, though. They will, but but yeah, and they, if they paint him that way, you're right. Then it'll be a problem for O'Leary. That's why he's holding back on his positions on these issues. The problem is, you talk about the social conservatives, which is the theme of your show today, really, and Sam uh, particularly in, in dealing with that. And you notice that O'Leary hasn't gone down that road, but social conservatives are important to these parties. In the case in Ontario here, that PC party is 35% social conservatives. That's how Sam at 19 won Tim Hudak's seat and beat out the party president. You know, how do you think mm-hmm. that happened? Yeah. Because social conservatives wanted it to happen. They went out and bought the most membership, and they showed up and voted for him. So, and federally, it's like that, too. I mean, every region of the country is different. So the sensibilities that we have here in the GTA, and even in Toronto and Hamilton is different, but the GTA is its own thing. And so, you know, you, you have run across transgender people and people that are gay and, you know, people that have kids that are gay, all that stuff. You know, we have neighbors that are, you know, all that. Yeah, it's no big deal anymore. If you're from a region that doesn't have that, um, it's not, I don't think it makes you homophobic or racist or whatever. You're just not, you know, not used to it yet. And I think that, but those voters need to be educated perhaps, but they don't need to be lectured and treated like lesser people. And that's what's happening with this right and left thing. That's why I don't partake in it. Hmm. Um, you know, and I don't believe in it. I think it's a label. And I think the name calling and labeling is is wrong. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that that's what O'Leary is going to well, it seems like it seems if you're not on one of the extremes, then you're nowhere. Like, what the hell has happened to the middle? Where's the nice middle? It's like it's either extreme left or extreme right. You deal with people too uh, for how they are, and, and even you know, even if they make a mistake or whatever, you don't necessarily throw them off the the boat. And I'm not talking like a Russell Williams type thing. I'm talking, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just stuff that goes on in life. 
Kevin O'Leary, Kevin O'Leary closer to taking on Trudeau. That is the headline, uh, Joe Warrington's latest column in the Toronto Sun. You can read it there and at thesun.com. Kevin O'Leary closer to taking on Trudeau. Joe Warmington has been with us. As always, Joe, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We've talked many times with Dan McTagg, a gas guru, about energy prices and, of course, uh, supply and demand, how that affects what uh, you and I pay at the pumps. Now OPEC sees uh, now OPEC deal sees top exporter Saudi Arabia uh, Saudi Arabia agreeing to cut its oil output, which will push up prices. To talk more about all of this, Dan McTagg is with us, former Liberal MP, and of course uh, GasBuddy.com to find out more. He is with us now. Hello, Dan. How are you today? I'm fine, Scott, and thankfully so. Former Liberal MP. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want us to just forget that? We can leave that one out well, if you'd like. You know, in the old days, uh, when prices went up, I was blamed for it. So. So there you go. Much anymore. <laughs> All right. So how surprised are you by this announcement that uh, OPEC is going to cut production and they finally come to terms with this, or have they? Well, I don't think they've come to terms with anything. The fact is they're going to continue to oversupply their clients and the market. And uh, non-OPEC nations, uh, which now includes one of their 13 in Indonesia, was either kicked out or walked away, uh, Russia, Canada, the United States, we're not bound by this, and we're going to continue to produce. Uh, prices are going to go up. Uh, that will only cause more to want to produce. So it's uh, it's not likely that uh, the supply and demand picture is going to change. The fundamentals behind this is that the world is oversupplied in oil. It will continue to be so. And as soon as speculators wake up and smell the coffee, you'll start to see prices drop. But in the meantime, uh, although here in Hamilton we are going to see a two-cent decrease uh, for tomorrow, uh, so prices will drop over across the board uh, uh, by two cents a liter on Friday, unless something changes in the next hour and a half, you're looking at a five cent a liter increase for Friday, thanks to the speculation over much ado about nothing in uh, in OPEC land. So wait, we were supposed to see a two cent increase, or uh, that will be offset by a further increase a couple of days later? No, you uh, you got the two cent increase last night for this morning. Right. Uh, it'll drop two cents for Thursday, and it's going to go up five cents on Friday because of OPEC and because of the speculation over this. So at the end of the day, you think this will all level out again and that mm-hmm. um, that this really is a moot point? Well, I mean, we got news earlier this morning that OPEC has now pushed over 34 million barrels of oil produced by its members daily. Um, the world only needs and uses about 93 million barrels uh, billion, sorry, B, billion. Even at that number, uh, even if they drop by 1.2 million uh, barrels a day, so going, say, from 34 uh, down to 33.8, 33.5, and assuming they can verify this, the world continues and will continue to be oversupplied by, well, annually, at least uh, a couple, well, 14, 13 billion barrels of oil. So I'm not sure this is going to change anything. Plus, it uh, it doesn't guarantee the rest of the OPEC nations are going to be somehow you know uh, uh, come, put in a situation where they're going to want to uh, follow suit and uh, and drop output. If anything, the artificial bump in prices that we're going to see, I see oil's gone up three and a half bucks a barrel, will only incentivize say U.S. hydraulic frackers or more Canadian oil production uh, and more Russian uh, oil to make its way to market. Uh, higher prices means more people want to produce more, not less. So why are they doing this? I mean, could this be to feed speculation, or is that just temporary, obviously? Uh, Scott, I think they, they miscalculated. Saudi Arabia in particular thought that by oversupplying and flooding the market, uh, it would kill off uh, 
new producers, OPEC, non-OPEC producers, so the United States uh, uh, shale uh, um, oil producers, light, tight oil, Canadian heavy oil, would all be affected to the point where they would have to shut down, declare bankruptcy, and of course that would leave just them as the only ones who could produce at $15, $20, $25 a barrel. What they didn't estimate was the resilience of many of the countries that are non-OPEC producers. Canada only relies on about 5% of its GDP for oil. United States, more like 2%. So this was, relatively speaking, a drop in the bucket for non-producing, non-OPEC nations. For Saudi Arabia, for Venezuela, it represents 90% of their income. They're the ones that hurt themselves. So reality is now starting to seep in. Uh, losing their revenue streams to maintain stability, to maintain their currencies, to maintain their uh, their reserves, means that they have to throw the towel in and hope and pray that the rest of the world will uh, take notice of the fact that they're finally ready to cut production. Otherwise, they will destroy each other and their finances will go with it. Where does that leave them? Obviously, North America, uh, you, you know, five, ten years ago, it didn't take them long to become oil self-sufficient again. Saudi Arabia simply doesn't have the clout that it once did, does it? Will it ever again? I don't think so. Uh, everyone knows how to produce oil. And the $110, $130, $140 barrel oil that we saw, 10 years ago, uh, eight years ago, back in 2008, actually fostered a lot of new production, both in Canada, the United States, and others who were sort of marginal producers have found new ways to uh, to go into old wells and take out a lot more oil. I note that uh, a place called the Permian Basin in, in Texas, which was the place where they made the first major discoveries and extractions in Texas back from the 1900s, early 1900s, all the way up to the 1960s, they've now found more oil there in wells that they thought were depleted than ever before, probably estimated to be three times more than what they've seen in the past. So the world has a lot of oil. We've now got the technology to produce it. We have now, in Canada apparently, found ways to actually start to approve pipelines so we can finally get our oil to the markets. That means that uh, oil for the foreseeable future is going to continue to be discounted uh, dramatically. Uh, anything, are, are these pipeline announcements and what we're hearing from OPEC, is that any way related? Does one waggle, uh, wiggle the other one at all? No, but I think it's probably good timing for the decision, which is, in my view, the very right decision on the question of Kinder Morgan. Of course, what's called Line 3, it's just basically replacing an old pipeline that was going to break down anyways. Both are very good decisions, and they will bode very well for the Canadian economy. Um, if you're able to triple the amount of oil and petroleum products, in other words, gasoline, diesel, because that pipeline wasn't just about oil, it was about sending gasoline and diesel from Edmonton all the way into the Vancouver's market, which is desperate, by the way, for gasoline. They import a lot of it from the United States. That will mean uh, certainly an additional 10B with a billion-dollar uh, increase in economic activity for Canadians. That's jobs, that uh, uh, pays for pensions, that pays for social programs, and that certainly uh, uh, creates a, an opportunity, I think, for Canadian oil to finally reach uh, world levels. In other words, a barrel rather than being sold at a discount at about $28 to $32 a barrel. Your thoughts on uh, Trudeau approving two out of the three pipelines? He certainly does a great job of compromising. Well, I would have been very critical had he not uh, approved uh, Kinder Morgan. You would have heard about me long before this morning uh, and this afternoon. It was the right decision. And in fact, uh, I think the Northern Gateway should not have been approved. But it does now create an opportunity for the Energy East pipeline to be uh, considered. Uh, We do need to, one way or another, get a lot more of our oil, clean oil, by the way, uh, responsible oil to to markets that desperately need it, especially our Canadian refiners. Uh, Everything from pretty much from Montreal 
to uh, to come by chance in Newfoundland to the Irving Refinery and even the big, large Ultramar Refinery, which is owned by Valero uh, in Quebec City. All of those could very well take advantage of uh, Western Canadian oil. Uh, it would be a win-win for both our processors, our refiners, as well as those who are producing oil, creating jobs. And ultimately, I think it might actually have something to do with uh, dropping prices a tiny bit. Uh, you talked about Kinder Morgan uh, being the no-brainer from, uh, obviously, Alberta to Burnaby, B.C. Uh, the Northern Gateway Pipeline uh, killed. Any thoughts on that? Well, I didn't think it was a bright idea to put uh, super tankers uh, in some of the most environmentally sensitive areas yeah. uh, off the coast of uh, British Columbia, northwest uh, British Columbia. It, it's clearly an area that, although Kid and Matt, I'm sure, would have appreciated the jobs, the reality is that the uh, sensitivities in the area uh, made such a, a task potentially r- risky, and I think that's a risk that wisely was not uh, was not assumed by the Canadian government. Uh, having said no to Northern Gateway, actually opens the door quite wide to Energy East. Um, that'll be the uh, mainline transmission gasoline ga- natural gas pipeline that currently exists. So for all the naysayers out there, we don't need another pipeline. No, this pipeline exists. It's a major conduit of natural gas from Western Canada to Eastern Canada, which we no longer need as a result of a lot of our natural gas coming in from uh, shale natural gas in the United States, it makes sense to convert that to an oil pipeline and uh, to get more oil moving from Alberta, Saskatchewan, out to uh, global markets uh, who desperately want Canadian heavy oil. Make no mistake, a good number of refineries in the United States and around the world have converted their, uh, their refineries to accepting heavier oil, not the light oil that uh, the U.S. is producing right now. And so... There's great demand for Canadian product as long as we can get it to market. Uh, so your thoughts on the expansion of the Alberta to Wisconsin pipeline? That's uh, a pipeline that's almost as old as I am. Um, you know, when you're looking at pipelines that are 50 years of age, have gone through several uh, types of qualities and grades of oil, they eventually begin to deteriorate. Rather than trying to repair it, the decision by Enbridge, and it's the best and, and wisest one, was simply to replace it. So we're not talking about uh, uh, building a brand new pipeline. This is one to bring it up to standard uh, so that it can last the next 40, 50 years without incident. Um, it's to all intents and purposes. I don't think there is a lot of objection to it. It won't be disruptive, but more importantly, it will guarantee that our oil reaches its markets, uh, the most important markets for Western Canadian oil in the U.S. Midwest, uh, very safely and certainly uh, considering the upgrades uh, the, the work that's been done on the Alberta end in terms of production to make it cleaner uh, oil, it's likely to uh, be quite a, a bonus, both for the United States and Canada. With these two pipelines uh, being approved, will does, does that mean that Energy East stands a greater chance of completion? I think so. It may be longer term, but there's uh, uh, less uh, likelihood that those who object, and, and I understand, there are those who will object who say bury it, leave it in the ground, uh, I suspect they would say the same thing for all commodities, uh, provided there's an, uh, a fossil outlet or a fossil emissions uh, outcome. But the frank reality is that Alberta can produce more oil. The world wants more of our oil. And more importantly, I think we're at a very, very uh, strong time when governments and, uh, and, and business, uh, particularly the oil industry, is doing a lot more now to clean up its act and to provide uh, a much safer and cleaner form of energy. The fact is that fossil fuels aren't just about transportation, and they're not just about using uh, to using it to pave our roads. They really permeate all aspects of our life, from the phones that we're using to the uh, 
medicines that we take to the paints, styrenes, uh, all the chemicals that are produced uh, to provide us a higher standard of living. If we can do more of that in Canada, sell the base product or process the base product, it means jobs and revenue and maintenance of our standard of living. When I look at the, the provinces and other governments uh, having trouble with their budgets for whatever reason, one of the last things you can't afford to stare down is 30 to $40 billion in extra economic activity. Anybody who can get that, any other country that was in the position Canada was in, would take advantage of this. And while we have to be responsible with our energy and we have to make sure that it meets the uh, most rigorous world standards, at the same time, we shouldn't dumb down the significance and importance of fossil fuels, and in, per- in particular, our uh, very rich gift that has been given us called uh, the oil sands. Uh, lots still, as you mentioned, lots will still be protesting this every step of the way. Where does this leave the government's relation uh, with Aboriginal groups and, and those that are against pipelines? Well, I think at the end of the day, uh, once we separate those who will say no, it doesn't matter what you do, and those who say yes, doesn't matter what happens, once we really drill down and uh, and represent, I think, to Canadians, and this, I, I have no business, uh, no, no, I have no skin in the game. I'm not a, I don't hold oil assets. I, I don't, uh, I'm not part of any protest group, but to me, it seems that uh, we're on a very, uh, a very positive side of things for Canadians. Uh, groups that do want funding, the groups that do want a, a much greater role. I think oil companies and those who are proposing these pipelines are going to have to do their utmost to make sure that there is public engagement and that we can and, and have done good work in the past to bring people forward. But at the end of the day, if you're simply going to object for the sake of objecting, uh, move on. There is a wider, and I think the Prime Minister reflected on this, public interest. And that public interest means that the good of the many comes before the self-interest of the few. How long do you think to build this? When will we see oil flowing? Uh, Kinder Morgan's going to be a couple years. I mean, from the time they've got 157 uh, really hurdles or conditions that have been applied. Those are not going to happen overnight. Um, I think you'll see oil flowing and you will see gasoline. I really want to emphasize that gasoline and desperately the cleanest diesel fuel in the world being produced out of something called the Northwest Refinery uh, will eventually make its way into that pipeline. I would say two to two years optimistically, five years uh, worse, you know, push come to shove, protests notwithstanding. Hopefully they, uh, they will remain peaceful, as is everyone's right. Is this a go? Have they cleared all the obstacles? Not yet. No, no, there's a lot more to do. Mm-hmm. There's a number of issues on engagement. There's a number of uh, uh, pro forma formalities. There's uh, due diligence. No, this is, uh, this is a long time. I don't think you'll see a spade in the ground uh, at least for another year. Um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of preparatory work that has to be done. Kinder Morgan, uh, which currently has the same pipeline, we're talking about a doubling of its pipeline, so it'll be another line right beside it, um, is going to have to reach out and do a lot of work before it finally gets the green light to actually physically build it. In the meantime, um, expect more protests, expect uh, a lot of political intrigue and mayhem. Um, and I, you know, I certainly get those who don't like this. So noted the irony this morning of people running up and down the streets protesting on pavement, which, of course, comes from oil. Uh, <laughs> we have to be very careful here. Uh, it's good to have an express public opinion. At the end of the day, uh, a decision has been made using best practices and uh, giving, uh, you know, probably the world's greatest assurances. Once those things are met, that should be built. And uh, let's get on with the, 
doing something good for our country for a change. Dan McTagg has been with us, energyanalystgasbuddy.com to find out more. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, it's great to be here. And don't forget, gas up tomorrow. Don't wait till Friday. All right, there you have it from the man that knows. Thank you, Dan. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.